the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. You know, it strikes me as weird that through the midst of this coronavirus spread, the Raptors are on the verge of being fully healthy. Welcome to the <laughs> South of the Six podcast. We are part of the stadiumscene.tv network and part of the Overtime Media crew. So it seems like it's been months and this has been a familiar theme throughout the entire year that this team has not been healthy, but they're still in second place and they're still kind of kicking ass. So there's a whole lot to talk about. And joining me to do so is one of the stronger voices within Raptors Twitter, Mr. Marshall Vick. Bro, what's going on, man? Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back, man. How you been? Oh, you know, just trying my best to avoid this virus. I got to I got to stock up on all this, this uh, hand lotion and soap and everything. But otherwise, man, I'm good. It's true. It's getting scary out there. I, I was out at Walmart the other day on my lunch break, and I'm seeing people walking around with face masks, and they're sold out of the hand sanitizer everywhere. I think the paranoia is finally starting to set in. Wait a minute. Crazy. People are walking around with masks, like legit? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. God. Yeah, no. The, yeah. Here, it's like, a, it's like a toilet paper epidemic. People <laughs> really want their toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> I shit you not, man. People are like, gotta stock up with the toilet paper. Yeah, we're true. We're we're all out of hand sanitizer and shit. But like, I guess toilet paper is numero two here. Numero. It's dos. the end of the world, man. We gotta have our TP. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever. No, no one cares about food or canned goods. You need your hand sanitizer and TP. That's it, and you'll survive. I guess. One hundred percent. All right. Uh, so yeah, look, the Raptors are. Still doing okay. We're still keeping our head above water despite the injuries. Uh, record right now is 44-18. and 18. We are still second in the Eastern Conference. We are two above from the Celtics, eight and a half behind the Bucs. Um, I should note that we are recording this Sunday afternoon. Uh, in a general sense, man, how, how are you feeling about this team? We have rumors that Mark Saul and Fred Van Vliet are going to come back from injury. So finally, since... You know, Marcus has been out since the 28th of January. Fred Van Vliet's the 25th of February. We may have a healthy staff. Are they both back tonight? I actually hadn't gotten that memo. There is so Nick Nurse was uh, obviously very coy about it, but he said there's a good possibility that both will be back, and a strong possibility at least one will be back tonight against Sacramento. Great. I mean, the team needs to get together and get some reps in heading down the stretch to the playoffs. I I. You know, I've been you know I've been watching this team since since the get go, and I can't remember a season ever where we got hit this hard by injuries. There was the one year I remember towards the end of the year. I think it was the 2002 season, mm. the year after we went to uh, the semi the semifinals. Yep. And Carter was hurt down the stretch, and Antonio carried the team till it was like a 12, 12 game, 11, 12 game, 11 game winning streak or something like that to to clinch. No, it wasn't that much. Eight or nine. I think it was. But anyways, eight, yeah. Yeah, it was eight games and, and, and led the team to the playoffs that year. But other than that, I, I cannot ever think of a season that's been this, we've been this hard hit by, by injuries. And it seems like as soon as we get one back, we lose two. And here we are with, what, 20 games left in the season? And we still really don't know what this team's fully capable of. Exactly 20 games left of the season. And it's crazy because I think this is a big reason why um, Masai and Bobby Webster didn't do any moves on the trade deadline or make any purchases in the buyout market because we don't have a fully healthy squad. So you don't sort of want to inject someone in there to mess up with the chemistry. 
And plus, like, I know this is kind of a cheap way to put it. And I, you know, personally, I hate cliches like this. But getting a Marcus All back from injury since, you know, like I said, January 28th and Fred Van Vliet coming back since uh, February 25th, you can look at those as quote unquote buyout additions, even though obviously they're way more than that. But they are an extra body to help this team or extra set of bodies to help this team, whereas they've still been very successful without them within that time span. 100%. 100%. I mean, getting those two guys back, I mean, that that's an injection into into our offense. I mean, we haven't we have we've had Mark in and out of the lineup so much this year that at losing what he does for this team on the offensive side of the of of the game, not to mention his quarterbacking of the defense on the other end. Um, and just having a big body like his to throw out there against the Embiid's of 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 the East and such, and then having a Fred out there to you know quarterback the the second unit when Lowry's on on the bench, not having that. I mean, those are two of our four playmakers. Really, I could I consider those two guys along with Lowry and Siakam as as the four guys who are going to initiate offense for mm-hmm. us. And losing half of that really hurts. And you can see some of the nights the bench has really struggled without someone to kind of to lead them, other than your uh, your best friend McCall. Oh yeah, man. He's he's my man. Uh, inevitably, inevitably, every single episode we have to talk about Patrick McCaw, and I'm sure this is not going to be an exception. But let's uh, let, let's let's pause it right there. Let me get some house cleaning out of the way, and we can uh, we can go forth with this Raptors talk and this McCaw slander. I'm sure. Uh, before we begin, like I said, we're recording this Sunday afternoon. Uh, Twitter told me that today is ha- is International Women's Day, so happy International Women's Day to all the strong women out there. Uh, special shout out to Raptors Queen Podcast and Dishes and Dimes Podcast. If you guys aren't subscribed to that, here's a free plug for you. Uh, subscribe to those shows. It's an all-women podcast. Both of them are, and they provide some solid Raptors insight, so highly suggest you guys subscribe to both of those shows and to uh, follow them on Twitter. Uh, and while you're at it, subscribing to shows. If you're listening to this one for the first time, thank you very much, and if you haven't already, Subscribe to this one. And while you're at it, leave us five stars and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. I say it week in and week out because it's extremely important for us to connect with more and more Raptors fans because that's what this is about. So if you haven't already, we appreciate if you do that for us. And uh, lastly, you know, tell your friends about the show if they don't know about it. it. Again, this is all part of building the web, uh, you know, enhancing the Raptors community that is right now. And right now, I, I don't know if you agree with me, Marshall, but the Raptors Twitter community for me is uh, getting a lot stronger and the way I see it, it's getting a lot more positive. Would you agree? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, and I, I know I'm guilty in years past of, of possibly overreacting a little bit on Twitter. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say there's, there was, there was, there was a calmness that came with winning the chip last year, right? Like you just, it, it, it neutralized those kind of feelings of inadequacy that, Raptors fans have been carrying around for decades or however long you've been a fan of the team and I don't know there's there's obviously everyone everyone keeps saying we're we're playing with house money this year and I mean that's 100% true no one expected a, the team to to be a home court much less some some guys were weren't picking us to make the playoffs and to see us now sitting in the second seed two games up on on the number 3 seed I wouldn't have thought we could have pulled this off to be I mean I thought we were going to be good this year but to think to think we would have been second seed even if we had perfect health mm. all year long and to see the amount of games we've lost to injury and to still be sitting where we are now not only that but we're third overall in the league that's that's pretty incredible it's it is and you know when you have a strong 
robust team with a strong, robust leader, you have a strong, robust fan base. And to me, that's that's what this is all about. So uh, big shout out to Raptors Twitter. Keep it going. Keep the positivity going. Uh, look, we have a lot to talk about. We have a whole mess to talk about, especially when it comes in comparison to last season. We're going to do that right after this break. Hang tight. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, man, you set the stage for me and, you know, you, you set up the segue quite well. So let's just get into it. So the Raptors, as we said, made history yet again. They clinched a playoff spot in the fewest amount of games in franchise history with 44 wins in 62 total games last season. In comparison, the team didn't clinch until the Bucks beat the Hornets and the Raptors record at the time was 47 and 19. So they did this with three fewer wins this year without. Kawhi Leonard. Now, for you, does this solidify the narrative that this Raptor squad is perhaps more special than last year's, or is this more of a commentary as to how weak the nature of the Eastern Conference is? What do you think? I believe the East is stronger than it was last year, um, at least at the top. Um, the top six teams are definitely better than they were uh, a year ago. And I mean, the bottom, the very bottom might be a little bit weaker. Mm. But when you, like you said, when you look at, we're doing this without Kawhi. We, we're doing it without 10 plus games from Ibaka, Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam, and Gasol have all missed uh, double digit games. And like, like we said earlier, 20 games to go, we still don't know how good this team can be. You know, and uh, there are players who have gotten better as the season's progressed. You look at Norm Powell now versus opening night. You look at Terrence Davis now versus opening night, um, just to name a couple. And, you know, there's still 20 games left to go. And if we get Gasol and and Van Vliet back, and hopefully, fingers crossed, from here on out, uh, we can maintain some semblance of good health heading down the stretch and, and develop a little bit of chemistry and really kind of solidify the playoff rotation. Um, I don't know. I still think the sky's a limit. And do I think this team is more special than last year? I mean, last year we won a title. So hard <laughs> to say that you get any more special than that. Um, but the way they're doing it this year is, I it's, 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 it's impressive. And, Something I, I, I found when I was, was kind of getting ready for, for, for this conversation was last year, the team actually made more passes per game. Oh, so wow. in 2018-19, they averaged 298.6 passes per game. This year, they're averaging 291.9 passes per game. So almost seven passes per game less. However, they're averaging two and a half more points per game generated from passes oh wow okay wow so i feel like the team's being and i i would i would think the eye test kind of proves this the team's more efficient with their passing whereas last year there were a lot of times where they would move the ball but there wasn't a lot of purpose right to it there were some possessions during the season where van vliet would kind of dribble the ball you know kind of a lot run out the clock <laughs> a lot right drilling a hole through the court and then just kind of pass it at the end and someone would take a bad shot or you know the the all of the load management games where Kawhi would be in the team would play with him for a few games start to adjust and then he'd be gone again maybe for two or three or four games 
in some stretches. And there was never really, I felt like the team was disconnected last year. There was us with Kawhi and there was us without Kawhi. And right. this year it feels like regardless of who's on the floor, the team has the same identity somehow. Yeah. Yeah. You so, know, you yeah, it, it's, it's, it's weird for me. It's, you look at this team and I think the knee jerk reaction is to say, well, which team is more impressive? Which team is more special? Which team? And, you know, of course, we're all guilty of it because last year's team, as you mentioned, like the championship set the bar. But also it's it's sort of like, you know, with Kawhi gone, this team had a lot to prove. Right. And if it wasn't just to themselves, it was to the mainstream media here in America, like uh, Dennis Scott completely counting them out of the playoffs. Yeah, we saved all those receipts, guys. Um, for me, it's kind of like there was a lot more to prove this year. There, it's, it's more of a prove it aspect in which to me, I think this team is more vindicated. As a team and as a fan base, we're more vindicated because, you look, I, I'm with you. I didn't think they were going to run away with the East this year. No, no way did I think that. I always considered Milwaukee to be top dog. But I am guilty in thinking that I thought Philadelphia was going to be way better than they actually were. And, yeah, we all did. Yeah, and you know, and that team, given the talent on the team on paper, should have been better than where they are right now. Now, I know they're dealing with a lot of injuries, but... I don't consider that to be an excuse anymore because, uh, hey, Terrence Davis is the only guy that's played every game on this Raptors squad. <laughs> no, think about that. Like you have Serge Ibaka, Kyle Lowry, Fred VanVleet, the list that you gave earlier, they've missed various portions of the seasons for long stretches, right? And we're still second in the Eastern Conference. And you look at a team like Boston, who has been pretty much healthy throughout the entire year up until this point, we're still ahead of them. And I think Boston only overtook the second seed once this year. It's not like it's been flip-flopping, right? It's not like right. we've been in a tight race. Yes, the games behind has been tight, but it's not like they've been taken second and we've been flip-flopping here and there. So for me, that's what makes this team a little bit more, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, special, right? We still haven't lost four games in a row. Nick Nurse has been keeping that solid throughout the year. And, you know, you mentioned <clears throat> the tale of two teams last year with and without Kawhi. For me... I think that's what proved this team last year is that last year without Kawhi, they were still winning games. And with the game that comes to mind is that Golden State game last year without Kawhi Leonard, they were in Golden oh, State yeah. and yeah. JV got hurt. They still won that game handedly, right? And so that to me is like a, a commentary of how good this team is, even though like, as you mentioned, the lower portion of the Eastern Conference might be shit, but still this team is still a very solid team. Oh, couldn't, could not possibly agree. Why? And there's no one who would disagree with that. Now, I want to ask you, how? What do you think our chances are? Because I haven't been on the show for since <laughs> I guess middle of last year. So I wanna, I wanna ask you what, you, what you think our chances are to heading win. towards uh, to win it all to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Where do you think this team can go this year? I think the chances of winning the Eastern Conference Finals is very high. I'm sorry, going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, the Bucks is our, our team that scares me like I, not to say that the Raptors couldn't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them in a seven game series I just my rule of thumb has always been if you have the best player on the floor chances are it's going to lean towards that team and you know as good as this Raptors team is there's no one on it that's better than Giannis to me I think Giannis is the best in the Eastern Conference today so I give the yep. slight edge to to the Bucks. But I do think that if, say, the Raptors face the Celtics round two, Raptors are taking that all day and they'll get to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's the interesting one. That's uh, that's the one series I've been waiting a long time to see. Oh, yeah. Somehow never happened. And yeah, I can't wait to see us against the Celtics. I hate the Celtics. Yeah. I know. I know. I What's that, what's that like for you? 
<laughs> I mean, I, I can't imagine if I lived here in Toronto and I hated the Raptors or oh, I was yeah. cheering for the Celtics. It was just, it's just, that just would break my brain. I, I, I don't know how you do it, man. Well, it's a lot of uh, smile and nodding. It's a lot of like, <laughs> yeah, cool, man. But it's, it's also like when you get into deep down analysis and when you talk to people about the teams and compare them, and I say things like, you know, look, the, the Celtics have a really good player in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's kind of taking a leap. And Kemba Walker, I think, is an upgrade over Kyrie Irving for the team in terms of chemistry. Uh, the Celtics have no bench. And the Raptors have a pretty solid bench. And I think that's what's going to break them. But then they say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a different story where Jason Tatum plays like 40, 41 minutes a game. And I'm like, he's not going to last. You know, and, and then it just breaks apart. So like the 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 bias for their team in terms of like a, a Boston bias is very strong. But when you, you know, talk about and give the analysis and compare the two teams, they don't want to admit it that the Raptors bench is bit better than the Celtics, but they still kind of, you know, they're going to support their team either way. It's been better even without with all the guys we've had sitting out. And That's what I'm saying. Step up. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. Boucher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can we just take a second and just, Chris Boucher, where did this kid come from? Montreal. I mean, it's insane. Last year, I mean, even till now, I don't know how, he can't stay on his feet. No. He can't stay, he cannot, if he goes to the rim in any capacity, whether it's as a layup, if you're going up for a block shot, if he's trying to defend someone in the post, whatever it is, he's getting knocked on his ass. Oh, yeah. But somehow, then he comes up with a 19 and 15 game, and the amount of blocks he'll put up in in 15 20 minutes on the court he reminds me of Keon Clark just Ooh. better yeah yeah i just, like that yeah you know and i he's he's been phenomenal and masai masai's ability to just continuously find and just dig up these this talent from from nowhere without trades without draft picks is incredible and I mean, I, I, I can fully understand why the Knicks which were trying to delude themselves into thinking they were going to land Messiah, which was never going to happen. <laughs> because I, I firmly believe you could take him and plop him down in any NBA franchise and give it about anywhere from five to ten years, depending on where the team's at today, and he could turn them into a contender. That's just how phenomenal of an, of an executive he is. It makes you realize that, you know, with the Raptors' success, as long as it's been, I think this is like the seventh or eighth consecutive season that they made the playoffs. I want to say it's the eighth. Um, it, it makes you realize that there are teams out there like Boston, uh, like Philadelphia, like LA earlier last year that have this strong emphasis on draft picks. When's the last time? Now, I'm not, I'm not discrediting anything about Pascal Siakam being like picked where he was and how much he's flourished in this organization, but when's the last time that we have seriously banked on having a solid draft pick or really investigated in the draft pick. It, it's sort of like an after effect. Like after we drafted OG, we we're like, wow, he fell to us. That's great. Or when Pascal was drafted, we we're like, oh, this is cool. Like we don't really know much about this guy. And he turned out to be this rose in the organization. And like right. even Jakob Pertl being, I think he was a lottery pick that year. Like, yeah, yep. he's gone. But still, like, we were like, this is cool. Like, we've never had a guy, like, in recent history that were like, we got to get this guy or our franchise is fucked. It's always been like, oh, this is, this is good. <laughs> like, this is just going to add more to the organization. How many teams can say that, really? 
one maybe the yeah. Spurs. And <laughs> I, I, I feel like the, the baton's been passed from the Spurs to the Raptors. I feel like the Raptors have been since Masai took over, they've been modeling themselves after the Spurs and the way they do things and the way they have an entire organizational development developmental plan in place that, that is linked to their G League team, mm. the way they're able to scout and locate undrafted talent, the way they're able to develop guys. Like no one nobody would have thought Siak would have turned out as good as he did, or DeRozan, or Lowry for that right. matter, his career turning around when he when he came to Toronto. Our player development, our scouting, second to none in the league. And I think, right, I, I think, and you can take this with a grain of salt because I'm a bit of a homer, just a sure. bit. Yeah. But I think that the Raptors are the model franchise in the NBA right now as far as being able to keep restocking the cupboards and, and staying competitive without, like you said, the uh, a crazy top 10 draft pick that's supposed to come in and save the franchise. We, we haven't had that. We haven't had that since, what, Bosch? Yeah, I guess. that's what I'm thinking. Was the yeah. last one? I guess maybe DeRozan. But even when he came in, he didn't have that kind of pressure on him. Right. Yeah, he was a, he was a lottery pick, but nobody was really expecting that out, out of him. Right. But Bosch, I think we picked him what fourth. Yeah, yeah, we needed him. Yeah, he was supposed to be the savior of the franchise. He had that pressure on him from day one, and unfortunately, he wasn't a number one guy. He was a number two. Mm. You know, it just for me. This is what makes me confident in this team moving forward. Even like, you know, circling back to you asking how far they, this team can go this year. Look, even if, it, even if it doesn't result in a championship or results in a finals run, right? We still have so much longevity on this team. And I know contracts are running up, but I'm talking about in terms of stability and structure, right? Like, I am not worried about draft picks. I'm not worried about who we're going to draft because literally right. Masai can trade every single first round pick from now until like 2025 and I'd still be like we'll find someone as an undrafted free agent we'll just find someone and we will yep. because it's been proven that we can look at Fred Van Lee who got a finals MVP nod one but he still got one last year and look yep. at Terrence Davis right now like we're going to talk to him about him in a bit but he's been flourishing and it should be at least on the radar for rookie of the year he probably won't get it but he should at least be in the discussion at this point so when you have that kind of stability and that kind of like expertise in scouting, like it, even if we don't, if this year doesn't result in a championship, I'm still okay with the future of this team. Oh, absolutely. They're, the future's never been brighter. And that was the thing that kind of scared me and I think scared a lot of people when we, when we swung the trade for Kawhi was, well, what's going to happen now? And we gave up a few picks and... All of these contracts are expiring. Lowry, Serge, Ibaka's coming up. Van Vliet's up at the end of the year. Um, what do we have? Who do we have under contract going into next season? Siakam, Norm, OG, and uh, Lowry. If, uh, for mainstays, yeah, but we also have like Boucher. We have Terrence. We have Matt Thomas. Like we have a bunch of bench fodder. But uh, okay. in terms of starting unit, we have Kyle, Norm, OG, and uh, Siakam. Siakam, right? Yeah. Okay, so. I, I mean, I guess a lot of what 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 happens moving forward is going to obviously hinge on what happens uh, with free agency next next summer right. when Giannis's contract is up. Um, I'm still, as much as I understand the 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 connection between Masai and Giannis. I mean, if Milwaukee wins a chip this year or even gets to the finals, I just I can't see him leaving that. Same. I just, yeah. I, right. I mean, if they get knocked out by us again. Maybe. 
For sure. Yeah. Maybe he goes somewhere else. Whether he comes here or not, I forget where I heard this, but I was listening to another pod and they were talking about if um, if Giannis is such a competitor, if he were to leave Milwaukee, would he want to pull a Durant move and come to the city, come to the team that beat him and knock him out of the playoffs? Right. I don't know. So it, it's hard to say. Yeah, I look, the smart money is that Giannis is probably going to stay in Milwaukee. Like when you're offered a Supermax or probably going to be offered a Supermax, chances are you're going to take the bank. And plus, like Milwaukee has proven that they can build a pretty decent core around him, even though they've gotten rid of Brogdon, they let him walk. But um, they still are proven that, you know, he's a valuable asset to that team and to that organization. So um, it depends on how comfortable he is with that team. But um, I do think that, and I've said this before, if he doesn't decide to stay with Milwaukee, I do think Toronto's at the very top of the list for sure. But the chances of that happening, I think, are slim. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, all right. So, like, circling it back, you asked me, what about you? Where do you th- how far do you think this team can go this year? Um, I would say I would be disappointed with anything less than the second round. Okay. My sort of my expectation now, I would think, is we were very capable of making it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then I guess at that point we're uh, a, a Nick Nurse game plan away from knocking out the Bucks again. Mm. I think. I mean, I obviously we had Kawhi last year to throw at a Giannis to stop him, but Kawhi didn't do it by himself. Um, it was one hundred percent a total team effort building that wall in front of the basket and keeping him out for for those four games. Do I think OG can kind of replicate that sort of on-ball defense that Kawhi was giving us on Giannis last year? Sure. And he's got, he may not be as strong as Kawhi was, but he's got that frame. So he can get in front of him and at least slow him down long enough for the other guys to get in behind him and, and build the same wall again. So I think we can beat the Bucks. They are better this year than they were last year, but I don't know, man. It's that's it's it's a toss up. It's hard to say. Like we were, we were a, a missed shot at the end of what was it, Game Three, George Hill towards the end towards yeah. the buzzer we, from being down three zero yep. in that series, and and uh, managed to pull it out in double OT without without Lowry, which to this day I don't understand how we did. That was incredible. Um, can we do it again? Absolutely. Will we do it again? I don't know. This might be, this might be, might be Giannis's year. Hard to say. Yeah, Hard but to, we, we don't know what we have. You, you got to imagine that Kyle Lowry is in the head of George Hill right now with a human nutmeg. Like that. That's <laughs> George Hill. Like, when is this coming again? I don't know. Um, what was that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that was crazy. Um, but for me, like. You know, it, it, there's a fine balance that we have to walk here, and we can, you know, uh, move on to the next topic after this. But I, I wanted to get your take. Like last year, there was so much emphasis on how there uh, the season is 82 practice games, right? And nothing is defined within the regular season, and all that matters is the playoffs, right? right? But at the same time, we're taking, we're putting so much stock, and maybe not necessarily every Raptors fan, but I'm certainly guilty of this. Um, putting so much stock in how strong of a record Milwaukee has. Right into the regular season and how like they're they're just dominating the Eastern Conference like eight and a half games up of first place is that's pretty good that's pretty strong it doesn't seem like the Raptors are going to touch that um but you know maybe this is just practice games like maybe this is something that 
the Raptors are sort of as good as they are, and this would make the season even more impressive to me, if they are just sort of easing off and waiting to fully accelerate until the playoffs. Like, you you examine that game against the Bucs um, back in February, right? And uh, I, I made this commentary before that there was a, uh, a post-game or a pre-game, can't remember which one, uh, commentary between the two coaches. And Bud was like, we're not holding anything back. Pretty much what you see is what you get. That, that This is us, right? Whereas Nurse was like, yeah, we're going to try a few different things, see if they work yeah, and if they yeah. stick. You know, so to me, it's just kind of like, you still have something up your sleeve, Nick. You still have something like that you're not showing. And if that's the case, it's something that you probably really believe in to the extent that you don't want Milwaukee to be able to game plan for it in the event that you see them in the playoffs. So, yeah, like you, you, you see these regular season games and you obviously the knee jerk reaction is to sort of like have an evaluation of how the team is moving forward. But I don't know. Do you think that there's a chance that the Raptors are still sort of preserving what, you know, maybe something special for the playoffs? Or do you believe, like, given the injuries, given everything that they've experienced, no, what you see is what, they, what you get. And even though that is what you get, it's still pretty damn good. No, I'm with you. I, uh, I, I think they're, they are, I think in, the, in a lot of games, they have been coasting through this season just because they're a team that just knows how to win. When it's time to win... They know how to go on a, an 11-0 run in the last two minutes of the game to 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 come back. And yeah. Nick Nurse loves. We all know Nurse loves to experiment, and he had. I mean, he didn't he didn't break out the Kawhi on Gian, on Giannis until until game three. Three, yeah. Or game three of the series last year. So, and like you said, I really keyed in on that comment as well when he said, you know, we're just going to try some things out. They don't care. They don't care if they if they get swept by Milwaukee during the regular season. It doesn't matter to them. You're right. It, it, they, they are still viewing these games as as practices. That was definitely something that Kawhi left on this, his, as an, an imprint he left on this team when he went to the Clippers last year. And they don't need to show their hands. I mean, you're right. Lowry is in George Hill's head. He's in Giannis's head. Clearly, you, you saw, you heard Giannis's comments at the All-Star game. Mm. You know, that, that's the guy that, that's the reason he took something from me. That's the guy, you know, that, that's why we're not champions. And we've knocked him out of the playoffs before. So, in a way, we are to the Bucks, maybe not to the same extent as what the Cavs were to us. Yes. Before. Yes. Yes. I was... So, yeah, yeah go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, I mentioned this before. I kind of want to get your take. Do you consider the Raptors to be the Bucks, Lebronto? Yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. We're not. I mean, we're not. We did sweep them technically last year. So who knows if we can knock them out four games in a row again this year? Hey, uh, we are in Giannis's head. I know we're in his head. And the fact that even though we we lost that last game against them, we held him to what was it? Sixteen points. No, uh, 19, 19, 19 points, mm-hmm. very inefficient 16 or 19 points. And so we still know how to guard him. And we did it without Gasol. And I forget who else was out in that game, but we can still guard Giannis. The question is now, you know, just getting, if, if we can rotate out to their, their shooters quickly enough. And if our guys can make their shots, if we can get Norm and Terrence Davis coming off the bench, knocking down threes the way they can, getting to the rim, mixing it up. It makes us. It just makes us almost impossible to guard when those when both of those guys are going off. So, I don't know. As much as the media and I'm sure everyone is going to say that the Bucks are the favorite, and they are the favorite for a reason. They're a historically great team right now. 
at least as far as the regular season is concerned. Um, but I still think we're in their head, and we are very much their Lebrontos. The the player that you uh, couldn't put your finger on that wasn't part of that game was Norman Powell. And Norman Powell has historically had very good playoff games against Milwaukee. Um, you could say it's because they drafted him and traded him away for Vasquez. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I would like to think so because I like that sort of commentary. Who knows? But um, when it comes to, <laughs> to Norman Powell, like we're going to touch on him in, in just a bit, but he would have been, I think, at least made that game close. I'm not going to go so far as to say that the Raptors definitely would have won it, but I think with how hot he's been, it would have been close. So um, there's a whole lot of variables, and I, and I mentioned this too before, that with that Bucks game, we didn't have a fully healthy squad. So it's, again, it's really hard to evaluate which is the better team. Right. I want to see Absolutely. the Raptors with a fully healthy squad. Hopefully that's going to happen April 1st and the 3rd. It's a home-at-home with the Bucks, hopefully that happens at at least one of those games where the, the team is fully healthy and we get to see them play the Bucks. And again, I still anticipate Nick Nurse to hold some, some things back, but it's going to be entertaining nonetheless. But, you know, when we talk about the playoffs and how far they're going to get, I think, I don't want to say it's almost a given, but I think as Raptors fans, we should be confident that they can make the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and if the narrative is that we're playing with house money right now because we don't have Kawhi Leonard, then look, a Finals appearance, even if if they were to lose that, that's still a very, very successful season in my eyes. Oh my God. If we got to the finals again this year with this team, this team is essentially, if you look at our team two seasons ago and just replaced DeMar with Siakam, who can basically do everything DeMar could do and more, except maybe the mid-range shot. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of, you elevate the supporting cast around. This is a better team than the team that won 59 games and got swept by the Cavs. So, you know, I, I, yeah, we can, we can get there. We can do some damage. And just looking at, at the experience that everyone gained on the finals run last year, it really sucks that OG wasn't able to, to be a part of that with the, the appendix surgery he had. Right, right. But, you know, you can't, you can't quantify what, Van Vliet and the confidence. Look at Ibaka. What what going to the finals did to Ibaka's game this year, being being a champion. And Lowry now finally has that validation and can get really get that chip off of his shoulder a little bit, you know, and shed that career long reputation he's had of being a choker in the playoffs, which drives me nuts. Oh yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> but let's not go there. All right. We can we can beat the Bucks. I'm I'm not I'm not worried about that team, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Nick Nurse kind of throw those two games we have coming up. We don't need to win them. We're not going to catch them. There's no tiebreakers at stake there, and we don't really need to tip our hand yeah. unless unless we're still in a tight race with Boston, and that's a different story. But why why show them what we can do? Why really show them what schemes we're going to run? Why show them what sets we're going to run? Save that till end of May. Imagine if we were like a solid like six or seven games up from the Celtics in second place and Nick Nurse had the, the gall to just be like, eh, load management for these two games. <laughs> like, Do it. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> load manage the starters. Sit. Popovich used to do stuff like that. That would be genius. Uh, I'm on. One of them's an ESPN game uh, all right. Well, with that, we're going to take another break. Uh, when we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about two of the uh, more explosive Raptors players. Hang tight. 
This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, you touched on them previously. Let's let's get into a little bit more detail. The two players I want to focus on are Terrence Davis and Norman Powell. So let's kick it off with Norm first, because I think there will be some residual commentary when we touch on Terrence Davis later on. <clears throat> McCall. Um, <laughs> Norm has picked up right where he left off prior to the injury in the past four games. Um, like I said, we're recording this Sunday afternoon. So the stats I'm about to give you are within the past games uh, before the Sacramento game. So uh, within that time frame, Norm has averaged 27 points per game, three boards, 36% from deep. Check this out. 53% from the field. That's ridiculous. At a little over 38 minutes per game. And this includes the most recent game against Golden State in which he had a career high of 37 points. Now, the fact that he's playing that many minutes, I said, as I said, 38 minutes per game on average, speaks to the confidence that Nurse has in him. So chop it up, man. Has Norm finally taken the leap in terms of consistency that we've been waiting for since he's been a Toronto Raptor? With out a doubt. Love it. I, I've i been a massive Norm fan since Summer League, his first year with the team. And I remember watching him in there and um, just thinking, this kid's got so much potential. And we all love to do that when, when we get you know exciting new rookies, and we want to believe they're going to turn into all stars. And as as his rookie season went on, and he made he made that huge impact against the Pacers in the playoffs. I remember thinking to myself, "Yeah, he's going somewhere with it." And then, you know, every year he was supposed to be a starter, and then someone else would kind of end up in his spot, and or there'd be injuries or setbacks, inconsistency. Um, but throughout that that time, I always felt like his biggest issue was. I'm sure most people could would 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 agree with this. Was finishing at the rim. He was always oh. out of control. Oh, yeah. Wildly throwing layups off the backboard in transition, um, but he always had his, a, a consistent jump shot. He's been shooting forty percent from three for a few years now, um, and it just seems like this year he finally took that leap. And I think it had a lot to do with Nurse's comments. And Nurse, Nurse is sneaky with some of his the mind games he plays with his own players in the media. And you've noticed a lot of times, like when he called out Siakam for getting into foul trouble at the beginning of the year, um, when he, when he called him out for his turnovers, when he called out Norm for being consistent. And now all of a sudden Norm went on that huge run, gets hurt. Everyone was worried when he came back the first time. Oh crap. Is Norm still going to be able to produce at the same level? And he just runs off. What was it? That streak of 20 game, 20 plus point games in a row. Yep gets hurt again, comes back, and continues to pick up right where he left off. And the guy's not missing a beat. And I really think a lot of it, I I remember thinking last summer, when he went to Kobe's camp. Our rest in peace, Kobe. Yep. And Gianna. And everyone else on that helicopter. Um, I really thought that that was going to make a big difference in his game. Going to learn from your idol. And... Not to say that Norm has a similar game to Kobe or anything like that, but he's got, you can see he's got some of that Mamba mentality in him. You really can see it. He just wasn't able to kind of put two and two together and really realize his potential as a player until now. And I think now we're seeing this guy, this guy we've all been waiting for, you know, Fred or OG to take that leap, that Siakam-like leap this season, but really Norm's the one that did it. And he he's... He said 27 points per game on 53% shooting. Yeah. 
it's that's mind blowing. It's crazy, and you know, I've always and I probably have said this to you when we talked uh, last year as well, but he's always seemed to me like up until this point like a diet DeMar DeRozan, right? He's, he's had like similar <laughs> styles of DeMar DeRozan minus like a three game. And the mid-range game wasn't nearly as, as strong. He never really had a post-up game where he can like post a guy up and hit a fadeaway jumper. That's not necessarily in Norm's arsenal. But the fact that he's nailing threes on a consistent basis, he's as aggressive to the rim, if not more aggressive than DeMar was. Um, it seems to me that right now he is you know, given the totality and, you know, the time off from injuries, it's more impressive to me that he can come back and pick up right where he left off, right? Because in years past, you're right, it's been like a roller coaster ride. It's like, oh, one game, we're like, okay, Norm's finally arrived. And the next, we're playing the Norman Powell drinking game for missing layups, like <laughs> wide open layups in transition. And now it's kind of like, no, we don't have to worry about that with him. He's so good and so like headstrong. I do think you're right when it comes to this mama mentality. I really do. I do think that, like, I don't want to, you know, make any light of anybody's death, but I do think when you have a person that means a lot to you and has your favorite player, yep. and something happens to that person, something channels in you, something triggers you to, to sort of, like, flip it into another gear and push. And, again, I don't want to just make it seem like this is the only reason why Norman Powell is doing well, but I do think it does have at least something to do with it. Where right now, Norm's like, I- I'm going to kick it into next gear. I'm doing this for Kobe. And I- again, I'm speaking out of in- ignorance. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe it is. But for me, seeing him play at a consistent level is eye-opening. And we talked about the players that are, are still under contract for next season. To me, knowing that he's playing with this consistency, even with the injuries in between, it seems like even if he's not a member of the starting roster for the remainder of the year, next year, we have a a solid two guy, two guard in this starting lineup that we can rely on and not have to worry about the consistency issues. To me, he's turned the page and as a Raptor, not maybe in the NBA, but as a Raptor for me is the most improved Raptor this year. Agreed. And, let me ask you, what do you think what do you think we should do with the whole Norm, Kyle, and Van Vliet conundrum starting at the backcourt? Who should be our starters? I think all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna duck at objects here through Twitter because I know when people hear this, they're <laughs> gonna get mad. Um I'd rather have Norm start. Like I, I know really? Fred Van Vliet is is it's nice to have that, but in terms of a defensive aspect and a length aspect. I trust Norm just a little bit more and I'd rather have the length and the explosiveness because with Kyle and Fred on the floor, it's a little redundant compared to Kyle and Norm on the floor. And so I'd, I'd rather have the defensive presence and the explosiveness from Norm to start. And I think Fred would be better suited with the bench unit around him or the bench unit rather would be better suited with Fred, I should say. Now, I kind of agree with you, but just to play devil's advocate here, sure. by having... Fred and Kyle start together and having Kyle play off ball, you've noticed a huge spike in his scoring versus mm-hmm. last year when he doesn't feel like he has all the pressure of having to distribute and set everybody else up, get everyone else their shots. And it's kind of allowed Kyle to sort of be a little bit more of a, a free roaming assassin. And really, you look at Kyle pre championship Kyle, and now there, there's basically two Kyle Lowry's. There's before game six in Oracle, Kyle Lowry, <laughs> and then there's after 
right? The guy who knows he can walk in there and score the first 11 straight points of the game on the road, game six, to clinch a championship. He's taken that with him now, and you can see it the way he raises up. Now, his, I believe his, his overall field goal percentage is down. Um, but again, there's a, there's a function. There's been a lot of games where there have been so many injuries right. that he's had really had to shoulder a disproportionate amount of the offense, and that's led to him having to create and take a lot of bad shots. But I think once the team is back at full strength and, and, and you can kind of see everyone just sort of working off together, it's it's tough to really place Norm as a starter or coming off the bench, but I don't know. I like I like Kyle playing off the ball, and I feel like losing he lose some of that aggressiveness when Fred's not out there and Kyle feels more responsible for everyone else. But like you said, Norm gives you length. He can rise up and shoot over other guards, whereas Fred pretty much needs to be wide open to get his shot off. Um, but then you get... Putting Fred on the bench gives you that playmaking in the second unit that our boy McCaw is just <laughs> completely incapable of doing. And, you know, those nights where Davis isn't isn't firing on all cylinders and you can see the bench just stall out, they could really benefit from someone like a, like a Fred. But I don't know. I don't know. I This is one I've been kind of going back and forth on in my head all season, and I still don't really have a definitive answer that I can come up with. The reason why I'm in favor of Fred also coming off the bench is I do, um, I am in favor of the staggering of Kyle and Fred because when they're playing at the same time and they're sitting at the same time, that's when the game sort of falls apart. Whereas if you could have them stagger each other, maybe you can include them both in closing lineups depending on what Nick Nurse wants to do. He's sort of a, a wizard when it comes to that aspect. But um, I just rather have the consistency game in and game out like all four quarters have no lulls especially in the playoffs right and right. fred can provide you with that fred, fred can provide you with the playmaking and the scoring and if both of them are sitting at the same time you're having a huge hole in that aspect even if say norman powell is on the floor yeah i sort of trust him as a playmaker a little bit but i definitely don't trust him to set up the offense like i would a fred or a kyle so when you have that consistency going through no matter what minute per minute I think that's valuable, especially in the playoffs. That and if you're playing a team like Milwaukee, as we said, that stuffs the inside and doesn't really allow anything in there, having Fred on the floor will be a it'll sort of enhance that detriment. Whereas if you have Norman Powell, you have the length and you have the his explosiveness to the rim, it might not be effective, but I do think it'd be a little bit more effective than what Fred would provide. And what about downsizing a little bit? And I know they tried Norman the three before, and it didn't really go that well for mm. him. But, you know, Nick Nurse is the guy who likes to try a lot of funky lineups. If we, for closing, I know he's done this a couple times for closing lineups, but what about starting Norm over OG? I don't hate it. And in fact, like OG, as far as well as he's been playing thus far, um, I do remember that when Nurse sort of, um, quote unquote, punished him and took him from the bench, or sorry, put him as a bench role, he thrived in those games. Um, I don't know if that message necessarily needs to be sent at this point, but if it does and that helps the team, especially on a defensive aspect, I don't hate it. And now you have like the best of both worlds having Kyle, Fred and Norm on the, on the floor. But again, like you are cutting a little bit of length and I do think that's a detriment to your defense. So it depends on if nurse wants to put the boot on the throat right away, because since the beginning of the year, since summer league, not summer league, since the G league, um, 
not G League, sorry, Summer League, yeah. He's been emphasizing how important defense has been for this team. And yep. if you take away from that in the playoffs, I'm worried that you're going to introduce deficits that you don't necessarily had to. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think I would want to see him start over, over OG, but yeah, OG gives you too much on defense. I mean, Norm is absolutely not a slouch on the defensive end of the floor, but he's more concerned with getting his points. Norm's kind of just become almost like a, a Lou Will, Jamal Crawford type mm. of guy, just instant offense off the bench or in the starting lineup. doesn't matter really where you put him anymore, which which is great. And wherever Nick Nurse puts him, honestly, as long as it doesn't compromise his aggressiveness, I'm good with it. He's So far, he's shown he's, is one of his best qualities as a head coach is knowing how to put guys in the right positions to succeed. He started by by splitting JV and Serge up in the rotation last year and never yeah. really looked back. Yeah. And also, like, for me, OG has shown that he can pretty much guard any position. Really, he can. Like, I don't, okay. I don't think he's shook by height. I don't think he's shook by size. It doesn't matter quickness. I think he can guard any position. I'm not sure Norm can. And Fred definitely can. Kyle probably could. Like, don't post up on Kyle Lowry, but, but I don't know that Norm and Fred are able to do that given uh, the limitations of their size. Fred more so than Norm. Hey, didn't they have OG out there checking Jokic? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. He can't. He, not to say he, he was great guarding Jokic, but he did a, he did a serviceable job. Uh, let's move on from Norman Powell. Let's touch on Terrence Davis. And of course, we're going to get into some Patrick McCaw commentary. But look, he's been opening eyes. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, he's the only Raptor player to play every single game this season. The performance he had over Golden State on Thursday reinforced the notion, at least in my eyes, that he deserves more playing time and perhaps a spot in the playoff rotation. There's a reason why I say this. And it's all tied into Patrick McCaw. And no matter how much we want to get away from it, I feel like there's an inherent Terrence Davis versus Patrick McCaw in terms of where you are in the fan base. I have never seen the fan base so divided when it comes to one player on the team that contributes, uh, at least on paper, next to nothing. Wait, so, what? where's the division? Uh, there, are play there are people on Twitter, Raptors fans on Twitter, that defend the crap out of, t out of uh, Patrick McCaw and his playing time. Are these Raptors fans that watch Raptors games? Or? <laughs> they, like I said, they immediately go to the plus minus. Like I had this, I don't want to name names here because I don't really know this person's name. I don't really care. But like this commentary about how plus minus is the be all end all stat. I was having this conversation on Twitter with this dude and I was like, Bro, do we remember, like, for instance, OG Ananobi's brilliant performance in Denver? He was a minus 11. So does that mean, like, that that's a terrible performance? No. Plus minus means pretty much nothing to me compared to the rest of the stats on the stat sheet. And this person, again, don't know his name, was like, no, plus minus is, a, is the, 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 the stat that dictates how important you are to the win. And I was like, okay, buddy, whatever. So, like, there are people out there that defend... Patrick McCaw and Nick Nurse's usage of him because I think the commentary is who are we to question Nick Nurse's decision making whereas pretty much every decision he's made has been the correct one and I, I can't really fault them on that for going that route but for me it's like no everybody is has room for criticism and for me like the fact that you know Patrick McCaw is playing 20 plus minutes a game and Terrence Davis is playing under that to me there's a problem there so let, let's just start here do you think 
that Terrence Davis deserves a spot on the playoff rotation? And are you concerned with the low minutes he's been playing? Unequivocally. I mean, he's, he's shown a sense of fearlessness from his first game. You know, and he made he made a fan out of me from the first time I saw him play. And he's never backed down, regardless of who you have him on the court lined up against. He's taken and made a lot of big shots. Um, the amount of threes he's made with, you know, games winding down a couple minutes left where we really needed a shot and he's come through and he never hesitates to take them. Whereas you throw a Macaw out there and he's passing up wide open shots. Mm-hmm. You can tell he doesn't have confidence. Um, he had that one game where he had, what was it, 18 points and nine assists and all of that. And he, had a, he put a nice, nice little game together. And then he had the play this week or wh- wh- when he broke down the defense and got to the rim for, for a layup uh, in the closing seconds or minutes of the game. He'll come through every now and again. But if you're going to, if you've got, 12 to 17 minutes a night that you want to throw to either of the two, I don't understand why anyone would ever want to give those minutes to McCaw. Darius, sorry, Darius, Davis can do everything that McCaw can do, and he can get to the rim. He can dunk in traffic. He'll take, he'll pull up and make threes in traffic over people. He doesn't hesitate. He believes in himself. And the only, I can see McCaw definitely gives you something more on the defensive end and understands the team schemes and, and how where he's supposed to be on the floor right. at all times, more so than a rookie like Davis will. And to be fair, Davis also has that rookie inconsistency. So you never really know for sure what you're going to get from him on, on any given night. But if we're going to roll the dice on one of the two, it has to be TD all the time, every time. The reason why I bring this to your attention and I just we'll, we'll do a little experiment here. In no particular order, name the top seven players in the Raptors rotation. Kyle Lowry, Norman Powell, Fred VanVleet, Ibaka, Gasol, OG, and who am I missing? Siakam. Siakam. Yeah. Okay, I agree. I agree with you entirely. The reason why I have an issue with this, and not what, what you just said, I have an issue with Nurse's comments. So... I think it was before the Phoenix game. Uh, there was a commentary in pregame about Nurse and Patrick McCaw. And Nurse said, I consider Patrick McCaw on a fully healthy roster to be a top eight player in the rotation. That to Why? me is playoff minutes. That is playoff positions. I it don't is. understand it. And this is coming from a guy that, that has done next to nothing in terms of production on the floor to help you win. Right, you can throw out all the plus minus stats you want to me. I don't really care about them. I'm talking about points. I'm talking about steals. I'm talking about rebounds, assists. It's just not there with Patrick McCaw. All right. And I wouldn't have as much of an issue with this. Again, I call back to this because it pisses me off. I wouldn't have much of an issue with that, that line of thinking because maybe that's sort of a motivational thing Nick Nurse uses, but it's contrary to how he's sort of pushed all the other players. And you touched on this earlier. Before the, the Phoenix game, he had a comment about Chris Boucher. He's like, you know, the bench unit's just not stepping up. I need to see more from Chris Boucher. What does Chris yeah. Boucher do? He has a double-double. I think he said, what, was it 15 19, rebounds? 15. Yeah, yeah. A, amazing performance. Uh, a couple of months back, about TD, Terrence Davis played a game. He played eight minutes after the game. 
Nick Nurse said, huh. oh, I think he played five minutes too long. What did he do? Right. The next night, he starts and has a monster game, right? And so, like, you have these players that he pigeonholes and says, I need to see more from him. I need to see more from him. But when it comes from Patrick McCaw, he's done next to nothing, and he says, no, he's a top eight player in this rotation. I don't get it. I don't understand this. And, and to me, it's just, how can you reconcile that? How can you forgive the notion that Patrick McCaw is worthy of pr- playoff minutes over Terrence Davis. The only thing I can think of is experience. That's it. And maybe some sort of defensive upside that Patrick McCaw has. But I still think this whole three-time champion thing when it comes to Patrick McCaw <laughs> is so overblown and so over-embellished because he's contributed next to nothing on all three of those championship teams. So I just don't understand how anybody considers him a top eight player in this rotation. I think... You know, and I've given him this credit, and everyone's given Nick Nurse the credit of of knowing how to put players in the right position to succeed. But when it comes to McCaw, for some reason, I think the reason we we get so up in arms against his minutes is because he tends to be featured as the primary ball handler when he comes off the bench. Right. When Lowry and Van Vliet are sitting on the bench or, you know, when we've had all of these in- injuries and we haven't had other playmakers on the floor, that's fallen to him. And for whatever reason, Nurse has decided to continuously go to him in these situations with a bench lineup, with an all-bench lineup. And those lineups have tended to struggle and, and they've stalled out and we've blown a lot of leads when, when that's been the case. I find he's he's more effective when you when he plays alongside, say maybe three other starters and maybe one other bench guy or four other starters, and he comes in maybe to spell uh, Fred or OG. When he can just kind of be that complementary piece because he's got length and he does have that versatility on defense, and he is able and he does know where to be at all times in the system. So. I get why Nurse trusts him because at the very least he's not hurting you on the defensive end of the floor, you know. But on offense, he just whoever's guarding him can just be a free a free roamer and just right. just just sit out there and, and wait to jump in the lane or you know he's not really a threat to shoot threes if you leave him wide open in the corner because he's too afraid to. So the offense stalls out more often than not with him on the floor and maybe with Davis it's the opposite. You know, you're getting you're getting all of the offense. You're getting the threat of of him getting to the rim, the the putbacks, the dunks, the threes. Uh, but then you're not necessarily getting that sort of focus on the defensive end and that experience and that knowledge that that McCaw has now and just the experience of having played in in Nurse's system for a couple seasons now. But yeah, I I just I can't understand why he keeps turning the keys over to him. I mean. I would rather have seen them try and develop Davis as right. their third string point guard. Really, like, give him the reps and let him... Because w- when he brings the ball up the court, when you see Davis bringing the ball up the court versus when you see McCaw bringing the ball up the floor in transition, who do you feel more comfortable with? Just just looking at the way they move with the ball in their hand, the way Davis has his head up, the the aggression and the speed he plays with, whereas, whereas McCaw just always feels like he's waiting. For something. And I don't, you never really know what he's waiting for. He's very slouchy too when he brings the ball up, right? It's, it's not with that calm demeanor, uh, you know, completely vertical to the ground. It's just sort of like he's slouched over and trying to make it. 
it almost seems like he's trying to drive when everyone knows on the defensive end, bro, you're not getting by us. Like, it's just not happening. And, right. you know, you, you make the reference of him being uh, the guy in the corner that's not going to, you know, hit any threes. Um, that's basically all he ever does in terms of placement on offense. And this is something that, like, look, I watched the Phoenix game the day after. It's really hard for me to be able to stay up and watch these West Coast games. But um, when it came to the Phoenix games, I, I woke up on Twitter and there was a lot of commentary about how terrible Patrick McCaw is. So I was like, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And really hone in on Patrick McCall whenever he's on the floor. Because I already know the result of the game. So I watched the game, and every time I watched him, he sets up in the corner and does not move. There is literally no off-ball movement when it comes to Patrick McCall. He's stationary. Just stays there. And for me, I'm just like, you're not going to make anything happen if you're not moving. At least run side-to-side baseline and go with the ball. Like, make your uh, defender at least a little bit gassed here. But right. even if he gets the ball in the corner, it's like, you're right, he's not going to shoot it anyway. And plus, like again, I'm, I'm referencing now the Golden State game. Norman Powell's on fire, right? And he's there, there were times where they're both on the floor. Norman Powell goes to the corner. What does Patrick McCaw do? Go to that same corner. And now that <laughs> corner is clogged. Literally, they're next to each other. I'm like, what are you doing? Like now, Norm is unnecessarily double teamed which completely removes him from the offense. So now it's literally a three-on-three. And what are you doing, Patrick McCall? Like, for me, it's just like, sure, you can talk about all you want when it comes to the defense and how much that's been emphasized, Nick Nurse, sure, but he's a net negative on offense. And when you need to win games, you need points. You need points to win games. So this is, again, calling back to the Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry staggering thing. This is another reason why I want Fred Van Vliet coming off the bench because I just do not trust Patrick McCall taking up the ball. And I think Fred Van Vliet with Terrence Davis could be just as effective as Kyle Lowry with the Norman Powell. How many minutes do you think McCaw will get in the playoffs? Hope or think? <laughs> <laughs> let's, go with, let's go with think. I know what you hope. Let's go with what you think. I think he's going to get a solid 15 to 18 minutes a game. <sighs> and in a playoff, well, that's, that's pretty high for a benchman. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. It is. Well... <laughs> I mean, Nurse is going obviously going to stagger Lowry and and Van Vliet in the playoffs. So hopefully, you know, he kind of goes back to this whole, I guess, this the system he's starting to work out as the seasons progressed. Now, obviously, it's been it's been tough with all the injuries, but where Lowry kind of goes out around um, maybe the the five five four minute mark in the first quarter, uh, Van Vliet finishes out the quarter typically and then Lowry comes back in to start the second with the bench unit and then uh, when he goes out towards the end of the second Van Vliet comes back in to cover him or they, and they have some overlap there that's been working so hopefully maybe he stretches out that those kind of those those transitions and overlaps a little bit more and that eats into that would you say 18 minutes for Makah Jesus Christ if yeah. he, 18 minutes a night we're not going we're not getting past the second round there's no way uh, do you think Terrence Davis is going to get like I'll put it this way? How many minutes do you think TD is going to get in the playoffs? I Knowing between, what we know, I think between the two of them, when you're talking about rotating uh, Lowry Van Vliet and Powell through those three spots, there's probably going to be maybe 10, 10 to 15 minutes left over. <sighs> I would assume because Norm's going to be your first guard off the bench. He can replace either one of the point guards. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, so 
And then, and of course, Nick likes to play the two of them together. So, I mean, how many minutes are really going to be left over? Everyone's going to be probably playing upper 30s, close to 40 minutes a night once the playoffs hit. So hopefully I'd love to see those 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes a night go to Davis. And, you know, if he's have, if he, you can tell with Davis if he, when he comes into the game almost immediately if it's one of those nights where he's going to have it. I find either he's, he's really hot out of the gate and sometimes he'll have kind of a, a crappy first two or three quarters and then come out in the fourth and light it up, which makes it, I think, a little more difficult on Nurse to kind of assess which one he wants to go with because Davis can heat up really quickly. And when he gets hot, like we've seen, he really gets hot. But we never, you don't ever have a threat of that happening with McCaw. McCaw's never going to get hot. No. We know that. It's just, it just doesn't happen. He doesn't have a jump shot. He doesn't have a face-up game. He doesn't have a post-up game. He can only play off ball and wait for open shots. That's it. So, maybe it's just situational with them. If we need more defense, if, if the starters aren't cutting it defensively, or if we need more offense, maybe that's how you decide which one you go with. Right. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, you, you spoke on how, whether or not you can tell if Terrence Davis has it, judging from like his performance right from the jump. And, you know, normally that's true, but I call back, I think it was either the Milwaukee game or the Denver game. I want to say it was the Milwaukee game that Terrence Davis like was awful in the beginning. But then in like the second half, he came to life and he either had a dunk or something and he went right up to the camera and said, he can't guard me. And I was like, uh, yeah, was yeah. that the Bucks game? I think it was. Uh, I, was that the Denver game? I think that was the Denver game. I'm not I sure, do. but you know what I'm yeah. talking about. Like, he I do, had, I do, I do. He was awful in the first half, and in the second half, he just came to life. So even then, like, maybe he just needs a shitty half, and <laughs> he'll turn it around. Hopefully it's the right. first half that's the bad one. But still stick with your guy. He's shown that he can be more productive even after a crappy first half and come to life the second half. For me, McCaw has just shown nothing. Like he, it, It's not that he's terrible. I'm not going to go that far, but he, there's just no signs of improvement from him. He's not Zero. giving you any extra. Terrence Davis has at least improved from literally the summer league up until now. Yeah, and if we're talking developmental minutes in the playoffs, I'd nine, sorry, 10 times out of 10, I'd rather see those developmental minutes go to Terrence Davis. Even if it means that particular unit goes minus five on that shift that night, whatever it is, because this kid is going to be a huge part of this franchise moving forward. I, yes. I firmly believe he will most likely either be starting for this team or close to a six-man role within the next maybe two seasons, depending on how other contracts and things shake out and where he sort of lands in the pecking order. But talent-wise, what he's shown as a rook, like you said, he should... The only reason he's not in the rookie of the year conversation is he's not getting the minutes, and he's, he just happens to be on one of the best teams in the league. Right, right. But if you if you dumped him on uh, Atlanta or whoever Detroit, I, yeah. I just want to try. I want to drag every team. The Knicks, uh, <laughs> the, the Nets. You know, you put him on any one of these teams, and he's probably averaging seventeen, eighteen, nineteen points a game right now. Right, right. Well, I don't know. Hopefully, there is sort of a a shakeup when it comes to the playoff minutes. Hopefully, there's sort of a of moving forward that Terrence Davis does get the the, the decent chunk of minutes because I just it gets frustrating more and more and at that same token I just 
I, I hate talking about it on Twitter because I'm just like, I'm, I'm screaming into the void here. Like, yes, a lot of people will agree with me, but it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight when it comes to the Patrick McCall minutes. So what, what are we doing here? I, I don't know. I don't even know. But What are we doing here? Exactly. What, what are we really doing? Listen, I'm just a fan. I'm not Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse gets paid the big bucks because he's Nick Nurse and he had the balls to go box and one in the playoffs. I could never do that. So <laughs> who am I? <laughs> All right. So with that, uh, let's take our final break. When we come back, uh, we will get into the uh, the two sweet moment of the week. Hang tight. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. It's time for the two sweet moment of the week here on the South of the Six podcast. You see, we got to get bring it back to the positive. We can't just focus on Patrick McCaw and I can pretty much guarantee you that Patrick McCaw is not at all involved in your two sweet moment of the week. So why don't you why don't you go ahead? What's your two sweet moment of the week? Honestly, I'm going to cheat. I know I cheated the last time. I'm going to cheat again. It's Norm's entire game Love against it. the the Warriors. It was just watching him go off. The amount of times I was sitting there watching him put up a shot thinking, what do you do? Oh, my God. <laughs> and it, he just kept hitting shot after shot after shot that I thought had no chance of going in. It really felt like, like a Mamba kind of game from him. And... I'm I'm happy to see him finally kind of realize his potential, and that game was just phenomenal, phenomenal to watch. That was one of the more entertaining games I've seen from any Raptor individual games all season. Love it. That was but great. Career high, 37 points, I want to say, or 38. Um, 37, yeah. 37, yeah. He, uh, he, he killed it, and it was great to see him uh, still in game shape, still being able to kill it after an injury. I love it. Um, my two sweet moments of the week. I'm glad we have different ones. Uh, game at Phoenix, third quarter, the fast break with OG and that high alley-oop to Pascal to that reach-back dunk. Oh, oh that yeah. was beautiful. I thought Pascal was going to miss that, but he, ah, oh, I loved it. It was so high. I just like, OG, what are you doing? Oh, okay. This all that worked out. That was gorgeous. I didn't even notice it at the time, but I saw someone pointed out after that when OG threw the ball up. Pascal wasn't even inside the three-point line. Yeah, dude, he came like a gazelle. He came over and just had the leap and nailed it. That was a special play for me. Like that entire sequence was beautiful. I think even OG got the steal on that and went for the fast break. I don't yep. remember, but gorgeous. Yep. Those two have had amazing chemistry all season long. Usually, it's in the other direction where Siakam has been setting OG up, but it's uh, it's been fun watching the two of them kind of grow together. Love it. All right, um, let's uh, put a bow on this, get into predictions, and we'll call it a show. Um, so as I've said, we're recording this Sunday afternoon. So tonight, depending on when you listen to this, this game might have already happened. So hopefully we picked the right one. Uh, the Raptors go against Sacramento in Sacramento. Sacramento is coming off of a back-to-back last night. They beat the Blazers. So right now, they're seven of their last 10. They had a pretty good showing last night. That being said, I'm going to go a little ballsy. This is the first of a night uh, of a back-to-back for the Raptors. I'm going to call this a dub for the Raptors. What do you say? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. If we lose to the Kings, I mean, on a back-to-back, I, yeah, what are we talking about here? Not going to happen. I mean, ever since that Terrence Ross game with the buzzer beater that didn't count in Sacramento, I've had like flashbacks of this being the house of horrors <laughs> for Toronto. <laughs> But I still think they can win this game, for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 Let's move on. All right. uh, Tomorrow, second night of a back-to-back at Utah. Utah is six of their last 10 as of this recording. 
I'm going to be conservative here. I'm going to call this one a loss given the altitude, given, you know, Utah's a pretty good team so far, the back-to-back. I don't know what the the status of um, Marcus Gasol and Fred Van Vliet are going to be tonight if they play. So I'm just going to be safe and call this one a loss. What do you think? Yeah, it's tough. Um, if they play, if, if, if we get both of them back, I think we get the win. Um, I think it really depends on getting Gasol back to have him to go up against Gobert. Um, with him, I think it's a win. Without him, I'm going to go in the other direction. Okay. And uh, then they get a long layoff until Saturday versus Detroit. So we're going to have like four games of no Raptors. It's going to be like the all-star break all over again. It's going to be weird. Why does this um, keep happening lately? I feel like every time we play, it's like a three or four day gap to the next game. Right? It's, uh, I don't know. I don't even know what we're doing here. Saturday versus <laughs> Detroit at home. Detroit is awful. One of their last 10. Derek Rose is hurt. Casey is still butthurt and probably will take credit for the Raptors' success this season, being, you know, the fewest games <laughs> to the playoffs. Somehow Dwayne Casey made this happen. Fuck it. I'm calling this a win for uh, the Raptors. Wow, are they really one in nine in their last ten? Yeah. What the fuck happened yeah. to the Pistons? Jeez. Dwayne Casey uh, happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are definitely calling this one for the Raptors. All right. So we got two of three this week, uh, depending on the roster construction against Utah tomorrow night. Uh, but still that's that should be enough to maintain second place given the fact that the Raptors are two ahead of the Celtics. So that's a good week. And, you know, back-to-backs are a thing. We're going to close out this West Coast swing in Utah. This is the last time until the finals, of course, that the Raptors have to go to the West Coast. So uh, this is good. I'll I'll keep this and uh, heading into February, I mean, sorry, heading into April, hopefully the Raptors can can keep it strong. But uh, no coronavirus for the Raptors, hopefully. Oh, did you hear that right now? Steph Curry has the flu, but they're saying it's not the coronavirus. What? Yeah, he he has the flu. I did not. Yeah. Did not. So if he has the flu, hopefully uh, the Raptors didn't catch anything. And uh, oh, <laughs> what are you doing to me, man? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm giving you the facts. That's what I'm doing. I don't want the facts. Just lie to me, please. Oh no, they're they're they have this anti-flu stuff for the team specifically. Masai, like you know, put this in in his little his little kitchen and and made a formula that makes the Raptors completely immune from any and all f- flus. So we're good. Don't oh, worry about yes. It. I remember now your yeah. president was saying you guys could use a flu vaccine. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. We have to call Masai and you know, <laughs> we're still working on that. We have to make a deal. We have to make a deal for this. So, um, that being said, <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for the show, dude. You know, the deal. First of all, thank you for hopping on. It's always great having you on. Uh, promote where people can find you on Twitter and where people can talk to you during Raptors game in the event that they want to defend Patrick McCaw. Go for it, dude. Floor is yours. Yeah, um, you guys can find me on Twitter at MarshallVic, 1L. And um, soon, uh, coming up at some point, I will be putting up some uh, some written words for Life and Repeat with your good buddy, Peter. Oh, man, congratulations. That's fucking awesome, dude. Good, good. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate it. Peter's a good guy, man, and uh, he'll treat you well. And uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him last week. So that's, that's awesome to hear, dude. Good. Congratulations for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I will have uh, Marshall's Twitter in the description of the show. I highly suggest the, the follow again. He is one of the stronger voices in Raptors Twitter land. He's been nothing but kind to me, and I assume he'll be nothing but kind to you, even if you are a Macaw defender. But, uh, dude, we'll do this again soon. No promises. No yeah. promises. <laughs> 
He'll do it politely, but he'll he'll remind you. No, dude, you're just wrong. But uh, yeah, so we'll do this again soon. And uh, thanks for hopping on, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Raptors.